0: Hello and welcome to this podcast of the Los Angeles Review of Books. My name is Arne de Boever and I edit the philosophy critical theory section of the review. I'm here today with Michael Marder, Iker Basque research professor in the Department of Philosophy at the University of Basque Country to discuss two of his recent books. The Philosopher's Plant, an intellectual herbarium, out now with Columbia University Press. And Pyropolitics, when the world is ablaze, out with Roman and Littlefield International. Hello, Michael. Welcome to Los Angeles. Hello, Arne. Uh, thank you, and it's very good to be here. I was hoping you could tell us a bit more about The Philosopher's Plant. It's not a traditional philosophy book, whatever that means. Uh, you collaborated for it with the French artist Mathilde Roussel. How did that project come about?
1: Well, after I finished writing a um, Plant Thinking, uh, it occurred to me that we could really rechannel our view of philosophy and, and view it from a, a Position of, of beings that are uh, changing, that are constantly in a constant metamorphosis. Because we know that traditional philosophy, of course, privileges uh, categories that are static, that are stable, that are immobile. And uh, we also know that plants are the exact opposite of that. That is why, as I mentioned in plant thinking, they have been marginalized throughout the tradition of Western philosophy, simply because they subverted that view of a being that is supposed to be static and and immobile. And then it occurred to me, what uh, what if we actually look at the whole history of philosophy from the standpoint of view of those beings that are the opposite of that metaphysical ideal of uh, of immobile uh, being? Uh, and uh, uh, of course, these vegetal threads, as I would like to call them, are prevalent in the work of virtually all philosophers. Their, uh, plants are used as examples. Uh, for, for various concepts, they are used as, um, uh, as prototypes, for instance, for the development from potentiality to actuality in Aristotle. Uh, and, and so uh, it occurred to me that I could tease out these small examples and actually reorient our attention to uh, uh, what is wrong with, with metaphysics using its own resources, as it were. And at the same time, introduce uh, uh, readers who are perhaps beginners or are just starting to get acquainted with the philosophical tradition, at least in the West, uh, with the main ideas of these thinkers through vegetal examples, metaphors, and so on, because these are things that are very concrete, that are easy to to grasp. Uh, And and so uh, the idea was to lead the reader from, from these very familiar uh, examples of uh, palm tree or uh, blades of grass for instance or a water lily to more abstract concepts that are exemplified in in them Uh, uh, so the book operates at, at various levels as i mentioned in the introduction it can appeal to beginners in philosophy it can also appeal to those who are quite versed in the discipline but want a different perspective on it uh, as well, uh, and and uh, after that, it occurred to me that I could frame this book, as it were, as an intellectual herbarium. So I would uh, each each thinker I have twelve philosophers corresponding to different periods from antiquity to basically our contemporary our days. Um, uh, each thinker was associated with one species of plants that he or she mentions in his or her work, uh, and. Um, and so it was a herbarium of these uh, uh, specimens of plants, but also a herbarium of ideas. Uh, so the, the idea was to arrange, uh, uh, to arrange these as if it were an aesthetic object, to arrange these systems of thought side by side, as if it were an exhibition, as it were, uh, and, and uh, overview them as beautiful plants, as it were, that, that flourished in, in thinking. Uh, but of course the one limitation was that the herbarium is a visual object and, uh, and, and so there had to be images or illustrations, uh, however you want to call them. Uh, and and um, I got in touch with Mathilde Russell who is a, a really a fantastic artist based in Paris and who works a lot with vegetal themes in, in, her, in her art. Uh, and uh, she uh, she got very enthusiastic about the project. Uh, the one condition or the one idea was that her images were not really illustrations. They were independent artworks in their own right that were dialoguing with my text. So uh, uh, the, the whole book is a kind of... One, the other level of, at which the book unfolds is that it is a dialogue between Uh, more abstract philosophical thinking and an aesthetic practice of uh, of, of actually producing art. Uh, And uh, uh, much of it unfolded really as a dialogue between the two of us. Mathilde read some of the drafts of my chapters and then came up with ideas on how to uh, uh, represent certain concepts uh, uh, in in drawing. And and we discussed the various ways in which this could work. Uh, But... um, uh, it, it was uh, really uh, uh, an endeavor that, that was on equal terms, as I would say. It, it was not really illustrating a pre-existing book, but the book itself unfolded as, as a, uh, an interaction between an artist and a philosopher in that sense. Right. As you
0: mentioned, yes. um, The Philosopher's Plant developed out of another book you did about plants, Plant Thinking, a Philosophy of Vegetal Life, also mm-hmm. out with Columbia. It's a book that Dominic Bettman has reviewed in our pages. Mm-hmm. How do you see the philosophical project of that book as being different from what you're, you're pursuing in, in the new one? Uh,
1: well, the, the philosophical project of the Philosopher's Plant was probably more limited to the extent to which it uh, engaged with, uh, 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 w- w- with a kind of uh, marginal figure, as I already mentioned, in Western metaphysics. Uh, and try to deconstruct the tradition of Western metaphysics using uh, the figure of the plant. That was the first half of the book. The second half, of course, was more constructive. It was an attempt to reimagine existence itself, intelligence, thinking through uh, the intelligence and existence of plants. Um, so it, it was a, a, a more traditional, I would say, philosophical intervention uh, into debates over metaphysics, as opposed to the Philosopher's Plant, which is a more open book. It was really more fun to write also because uh, it, uh, it cast a different glance over the entire tradition of philosophy based on these select specimens that are featured in the book. Uh, and... Um, and dealt with a much broader array of topics, not just uh, the construction of metaphysics and a kind of existential, uh, existentiality of of plant life, but but also uh, uh,
0: many other themes that are uh, are staples in philosophy in general. Going back to plant yes. thinking for a moment, that book is presented with a foreword by Gianni Vattimo and Santiago Sabala, who characterize plant thinking there as being, quote, entrenched in weak thought. End of quote. That doesn't exactly sound like a recommendation, I imagine, to the the general reader. Weak thought. What do they mean by weak thought? Well, uh,
1: uh, of course, weak thought is a stream of philosophy that came to be identified with the work of Gianni Vattimo. And Santiago Zabala works very closely with, with Gianni. They, they work in, in, the, in this uh, kind of uh, philosophical uh, uh, stream of, of thought. And the idea is that uh, the way to approach metaphysics is to weaken its categories, uh, so that, as I mentioned in the beginning of our conversation, uh, uh, metaphysics privileges uh, stable, uh, uh, immutable, ideally immutable beings and, and, and terms, uh, and, and so the uh, the idea of weak thought is to uh, uh, to, as it were invite metaphysics uh, to show where its strength is really coming from and to question or subvert that strength from within. So it is not to demolish, as it were, these metaphysical categories, but to weaken them from within without ever losing uh, w- whatever makes them what they are, whatever makes metaphysics metaphysics. Uh, and and so um, the idea that plant thinking is weak thought uh, is, uh, uh, is is certainly something that occurred to me as well, and it was really, uh, in, in a fantastic way, uh, illustrated in the introduction to the book, uh, in the preface to the book by uh, Gianni Battimo and Santiago Zabala. Uh, but, uh, the uh, for instance, I can give you an example of, of uh, how this works. For Hegel, for instance, the plant is a, uh, an ontologically weak being Uh, It is weak because it is unable to oppose its other, it is unable to oppose uh, its environment. Uh, And so Hegel identifies it with the powerlessness of life itself. Uh, And and so, uh, of course, for Hegel, this is a very negative valuation. This this powerlessness of the plant that is not opposed to its other uh, is is, uh, not something to aspire toward. Uh, but if we follow the tradition of weak thought, then we could we could uh, somehow reverse things and say that this weakness of the plant is a great strength. It does not oppose the other, but actually coexists with the other, be it the ad- other plants or the, the environment as a whole, the place where it grows. And that gives it much more flexibility for its own life and existence. It can actually evolve with the place of its growth as opposed to rigidly Standing over and against it as uh, uh, animals and especially humans do, right? And uh, I emphasized this uh, a lot before as well that I think that one of the root causes of the current environmental crisis that, that is incredibly uh, uh, deep uh, is that we have, uh, we humans, that is, have taken the tendency of the animal, as Hegel sees it, to oppose itself to the place where it is. And uh, uh, simply exaggerated it to uh, an incredible extent. So that we, we have opposed uh, not only the immediate places where we live, but the planet as a whole has become an object uh, set over and against us as subjects. And once that happens, we are expelled from it, as it were, right? So we're no longer a part of the place that, that we oppose which is not, again, this or that place, but the, the planet as a whole, in that sense. And with the plants, since they, they cannot do that, It is not I, I see it not as a limitation, but as a tremendous strength. So weak thought emphasizes the strength of what metaphysics sees as, uh, as weakness and deficiency and lack.
0: Right. In many ways, I think this brings us to some political implications of your work on plants. Mm -hmm. I wonder if there's a relation, for example, between your work on plants and other work you've done about Zionism, for example, and the Israel-Palestine situation.
1: Yes, there is uh, clearly a link. And um, I think that it is especially obvious in the introduction to the volume, Deconstructing Zionism, that I co-authored with uh, Gianni Batimo. The volume was edited by us, and we wrote the introduction, starting with a very... Uh, telling a vegetal example, Uh, it uh, it is the movie Lemon Tree about the conflict in Israel-Palestine. And very briefly, the uh, the plot of the movie is that um, a Palestinian widow uh, is forced to uh, um, to cut down her uh, lemon grove because the Israeli minister of uh, defense moves in just across the street, uh, uh, and and it is deemed to be a security hazard. So that. Uh, potential dangers can lurk about between the trees. Uh, She opposes throughout this movie, uh, she opposes the uh, uh, decision of the court, she hires lawyers and so on. So it is a very drawn-out battle. And uh, the the final decision of the Israeli Supreme Court is really grotesque and Kafkaesque, one could say, which is that she does not have to uh, uh, completely uh, uproot her lemon grove, but uh, she is forced to cut down her trees to no more than 50 centimeters above the ground. Uh, and, and so this is the supposed compromise solution. Uh, and, and the movie ends there with her walk, walking uh, among the stumps of, of these mutilated trees. Of course, uh, we see it as a kind of as a metaphor for the uh, existence of the Palestinian people in, in, in that land. So that uh, their rootedness, they are still rooted in the land, but their growth is suffocated, is mutilated. They are not allowed to grow more than 50 centimeters of the ground, which is which is an incredible. I mean, you you can't imagine a tree being 50 centimeters tall and uh, uh, a lemon tree, especially. And and it's the same with the national existence of of the Palestinian people. So we start the book with this this example and to to show how uh, uh, incredibly um, uh, evocative vegetal metaphors are in relation even to political issues such as this.
0: Let's talk a bit more about politics. It's a central concern in the other book we're discussing today as well, pyropolitics. You note in that book's acknowledgements that it was a difficult book to write. Why mm-hmm. was that?
1: Well, it was difficult on on a number of levels. Uh, first of all, because uh, it was an attempt to uh, provide an integrated uh, theory of the political that would not be based in geopolitics, and the politics of, of the earth or of the land. Uh, and we have uh, uh, scattered indications of what that theory could look like here and there, but it, it was a little bit of a trailblazing uh, uh, book, so I, I had to, uh, uh, to to invent the path as I moved along. That was one level of the difficulty. Uh, the other level was, of course, that... Um, Uh, Some of the examples or phenomena that I cover in this book are are, um, very difficult to think through or to to even to to contemplate, uh, both at the emotional and at at the intellectual levels. Uh, um, Take, for example, uh, self-immolations at political protests. I've watched quite a few uh, videos, footage of that, which uh, which which is just very very hard to watch, uh, or widow immolation uh, in, in India, uh, um, uh, the so-called sati. So, uh, just at, at that level, there is another added difficulty, and all of that was uh, <laughs> combined into a, a difficult book, as
0: I call it. Could yeah. you talk a little bit more about that distinction between geopolitics and pyropolitics that you mentioned?
1: Uh, sure. So usually, when when we think about politics, we think about the politics of the earth. We think about territories. Uh, we think about uh, states with their boundaries and conflicts over, o- over the land. We have just talked about Israel-Palestine. It's a, a quintessentially geopolitical conflict in that sense. Uh, and uh, so if we think in the terms of the classical elements, which are four, uh, right, uh, in, in the Greek philosophy, in pre-Socratics, you have the earth... Uh, the water, the air, and, the fi- and fire, finally, uh, it doesn't really make sense that politics would be limited to only one of these elements, to uh, geopolitics, to the earth. Uh, and uh, someone who has drawn our attention to this uh, uh, first, I would think, is Carl Schmidt. Uh, uh, he He thought that uh, the politics of the earth is insufficient exactly because we know that there's maritime politics, the politics of the sea, where the main element is the is water with its uncertainty and uh, if you think about the colonial adventures in in Europe, many of them took the shape of maritime politics of uh, of, of traveling to other continents and colonizing them but then that leaves us still with. Two other elements, uh, air and fire. And Schmidt, only in his book, Land and Sea, only alludes to, to these elements. He says, it seems that now politics is moving. Toward the, uh, and he's writing this in the middle of the 20th century. Politics is moving toward the domain of the politics of air, uh, with uh, air travel, with uh, air war, right? Uh, uh, bombs that are dropped indiscriminately on uh, on populations, uh, with uh, space communications, satellites, and uh, and, and so on. Uh, and and in only one sentence he says, "Well, there is also." politics of fire, which he sees as the end of politics and the end of humanity. And for him, that is exemplified in the atomic bomb. So for him, the atomic explosion is the epitome of of pyropolitics. But at the same time, uh, uh, what he doesn't really pay attention to are the positive aspects of pyropolitics, of the politics of fire. We are in revolutionary discourses, for instance, you always in various traditions from France to Russia to China, uh, you have the, and and Cuba, for instance, you have the idea of a spark of revolutionary change that is ready to ignite the flame of uh, uh, discontent in the oppressed and uh, to, to completely burn up the previous regime and to create something new. Uh, So pyropolitics or the politics of fire, in my view, uh, uh, overarches, uh, uh, exceeds the simple division between the the good and the bad, the destructive and the creative, and uh, can include as much an explosion as uh, 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 smelting and and, and, and creation and forging of a new political entity uh, in uh, in fire. So this is...
0: Michael, you've been extraordinarily productive. Uh, I think since 2009, you've published on average a a book a year or so. Is there anything new you're working on at the moment? Uh,
1: Well, I'm uh, working on a number of projects. I have just finished writing a book titled uh, Through Vegetal Being, which is a book co-authored with Lucy Rigare. And uh, speaking about books that are not so traditional, if you think about philosophy texts, that's certainly one of those. Uh, And... um, Uh, It is a book that is incredibly personal for both of us. It includes uh, autobiographical reflections in relation to plants, uh, and it it, uh, constantly mixes these different levels of the the personal and the theoretical uh, in in relation to to vegetal being. Uh, Another book that I'm working on now is titled Dust, which is for the Object Lessons uh, book series at Bloomsbury. Uh, and, and there I extend my environmental concerns a little bit further. Uh, but the book, of course, is not just environmental philosophy. It is uh, a mix of uh, poetic approach to the issue of dust, a uh, uh, different kind of phenomenology, and, of course, an environmental uh, thought. So these are the, the different projects that I'm working on now.
0: Yeah, Great. Thank you so much for, for this conversation. This podcast was made for the philosophy critical theory section of the Los Angeles Review of Books, accessible at lareviewofbooks.org.